0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash B-E. Why is it so difficult for educational technology integrationists to get new technologies into the classrooms? Is it the often touted, I'm too busy for that, or is it the, it's just one more thing? What if I said to you that educational technology integration has to do with more than just the perception of it being a tool that can be used to open up more doors if it's integrated properly, but instead a concrete practical framework that can help teachers do more? Hey everyone, Dr. Jones with another week's episode of Seeing to Lead. And this week, I talked to Lori Guion, who explains just that. Her new book, Smile Learning, Leveraging the Power of Educational Technology, is full of practical tips that help teachers use concrete methods to integrate technology seamlessly into the classroom. Smile is actually an acronym that she has in her book. It stands for shine, motivate, inspire, learn, and elephant. That's right. You heard me say that, elephant. What you need to do is listen to this episode As she talks about how important it is for us to learn alongside our students with these new technologies as they emerge instead of fighting against them and trying to be the masters. And once you do that, you're going to want to purchase her book, Smile, to find out about all these areas, how they work together with the classroom teacher to seamlessly integrate technology in a meaningful, authentic way. Not to mention, you get to find out about the idea of the elephant. Thanks for taking the time. Let's dive right in with Lori Dion on Scene to Lead.
1: I look at educational technology and the the tools that we use in the classroom is just that. They're tools. No different than we use pencils or we have, you know, paper and all the different things you use in a regular classroom. I just want uh, teachers to realize that, you know, and, and for our students to see that it just opens up doors. It gives, it, there's potential in those tools. And if we use them right, we can bring that potential to the student, to the learning, to whatever the, the it is, that our, whatever our goals happen to be. And that's where I kind of went with the leveraging is we're using them appropriately. Um, just like, you know, when you think of like your kindergarten class and you're teaching your your student how to hold the pencil the right way or how to draw the letter A you're giving them a process that's going to open up more doors.
0: Thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Lori Guion is the coordinator of model schools at Washington, Saratoga, Warren, Hamilton, Essex, Board of Cooperative Educational Services. Her role focuses on professional learning around technology integration for over 31 school districts across five counties. Lori is the Capital Region Director and a trainer for New York State Association for Computers and Technologies in Education. Lori is also the author of the book, Smile Learning, Leveraging the Power of Educational Technology. And I just found out in the pre-chat, so I've got to throw this on this biography here, that she found out today that she is the School Administrators Association of New York's 2023 leader, of digital education. So if you want to find something out about digital education, technology integration, you have come to the right place this week because Lori, from everybody's opinion in New York State anyways, it seems, really knows how to get this done. So Lori, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Chris. It's going to be, I think it'll be a fun conversation.
0: Yes, our pre-chat, we had some laughs and everything. So I think we're just going to get along great and people are going to learn a lot of things from you. Absolutely. Let's just start by, I mean, I named a couple of big things. And I need some help with those acronyms at first, but let's just kind of fill that out a little bit. So how did you get to where you are now and doing that for that many schools across so many counties and becoming an author because we want to talk about your book later? So, so what's that journey been like for you?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I came to the education a little late, you know, in my career. It was actually my third career. Uh, I started out as a sixth grade teacher, did every subject in sixth grade. By the time I left the classroom, I was just teaching English. But I had discovered technology, you know, in my prior roles. And then when I came over to the education world, I, I was kind of flabbergasted at how little technology was in the classroom. So I tried to integrate it as fast as I could in the ways that I could. And by the time I left the classroom, I was pretty much teaching My English class, through the lens of computer science, computational thinking, the design process, I had the engineering poster on my wall right next to the writing process because there's so many correlations. We did a lot with robotics and making movies and connecting with other countries and other classrooms as often as we could. I shifted from there to a tech integrator role, kind of took over the teaching and training of using technology in the classroom, you know, right after I came out of that classroom, we had piloted iPads in, oh gosh, 2013 in my class. And I just fell in love with all of the different apps and programs. And so when I was able to shift to that tech integrator role, I could really help with the rollout in the other grade levels from there, I moved to, uh, BOCES when I started like my, ad- my admin career. If you want to look at it that way, I was finishing up my admin program when I was hired at BOCES. and in the role that I have there as the coordinator for model schools. Like you said, I'm, I support 31 school districts in upstate New York on anything to do with educational technology anything to do with using robotics, computer science, digital citizenship, anything along those lines. You know, every day is a different day. I just love the variety of what I get to do every day, which has been really fun and bring what I think technology can be into the classroom. You know, that's kind of has been my journey. It's a very long and winding road of where I got to education. But once I got here, I was like, okay, this is where I belong. And it's really been a great experience since then.
0: So I I just want to highlight something. 31 school districts, not schools, because we know that a district has multiple schools in it, but 31 school districts, that's a lot of schools, a whole bunch of teachers and a ton of students. What's that look like? How do you do that? Do you travel from school to school? Do you do a lot virtually? How, what does that look like?
1: That's a little bit of all of that. It's about 40,000 students in our area. So yeah, it's a large, it's a large geographic area too. And probably for where I live or my office, I can go an hour in each direction to kind of give your range as far as distance goes as well. But every day is very different. I'm some days I'm in the classroom. Some days I'm with groups of teachers. Some days I'm doing webinars or work, you know, sometimes I'm putting together whatever I need to do to bring to the next day, you know, for whatever I'm going to be doing with students. And then, you know, a lot of it is keeping on top of what's new and what's exciting and what's coming down the pike. It's learning as much as I can about, you know, ed tech tools, but also looking at through the lens of, you know, what's going to make a, an impact for our students, you know, and what support do teachers need in order to use that technology appropriately. So, you know, there's a lot of lenses, but it all kind of comes to the same thing. We want to make sure that if we're using something with students, we're really helping them. To engage, you know, in a civic way, you know, in a global environment, we're making sure that they're getting the success they need or whatever the tools they need to be successful as they're going through their schooling. So yeah, every day is different. And I can't tell you that there's never been two days that have been the same.
0: And, you know, when you talk about that and the size, it it has to do with the title of your book, which I really want to dig into because of our pre-show conversation about the picture of the elephant I saw. And those of you who are looking at this book, You're going to see the picture of an elephant on it. And the the title is Smile Learning, Leveraging the Power of Educational Technology. Now, you let me in on the idea that SMILE is an acronym, but the word in the title that really sticks out to me, especially with your job, is leveraging. And oftentimes, we try to leverage things so that we can cover what we can't cover or where we can't be or that the job is so vast. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that and then bring us through that acronym? I'm dying to hear what all those different pieces mean.
1: Sure, yeah. So leveraging was, and I will tell you that I wrote the entire book, went through the entire editing process and started to build the cover before I settled on a title. I just couldn't get this right. I just, it was so long and it said so much, you know, I'm a very talkative person. I have a lot of words, you know, and trying to get it to what I needed it to be was definitely that one of the harder parts of the process. but Leveraging is the word I kept coming back to because I look at educational technology and the tools that we use in the classroom is just that. They're tools. No different than we use pencils or we have a, you know, paper and all the different things you use in a regular classroom. I just want teachers to realize that, you know, and for our students to see that it just opens up doors. It gives, there's potential in those tools. And if we use them right, we can bring that potential to the student, to the learning, to whatever the, it is that, whatever our goals happen to be. And that's where I kind of went with the leveraging is we're using them appropriately. Just like, you know, when you uh, think of like your kindergarten class and you're teaching your, your student how to hold the pencil the right way or how to draw the letter A, you're giving them a process that's going to open up more doors, right? I remember being a kid and loving to learn how to read. It was something that I could not wait to do. In fact, I tell the story in the book that I used to cry when my brother went to kindergarten. It seems my older brother. And I didn't think it was fair. He got to learn to read and I didn't see. You know, so, so, right. So, so, you know, it just, every time you learn something new, it opens another door. It gives another opportunity. You know, it gives you a chance to do something maybe you didn't think you could do before. And I kept coming back to the word leveraging because that's what I was seeing as if you use technology the right way, you know, you really can do something you never thought you could do.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I really like how you walk through that process to come down to a title because anybody that's ever tried to title something, be it a book, be it a blog post, an article, they tend to run into that issue and they struggle with, okay, what's going to capture it? There's actually an artful thinking or a visible thinking routine used in the classroom called Headline. And it's a really good summarizing activity for students. So if they have a lesson that you've done what would be a headline? It could be used as an exit activity. What would be the headline to... And once you get the headline to summarize what we've learned today, then you can leave or you're done for the day. But I really like that process that you went through to get to that title. Because it sounds like it, it means a lot to you. And it's a personal thing to you.
1: It definitely is. Yeah. And I mean, to break down the acronym, because you did ask that too. When we break down the acronym with a smile, it really was, again, what are the ways that we can make sure that the educational technology is used the right way? And there's lots of different, you know, you know, like there's the SAMR model, there's TPAC, there's the Triple E. There's lots of frameworks that are already there. But I, I just felt like it needed to be more that conversation. What does it look like in action? What is what? Why are we picking the tool? What are we going to try to get to? You know, have our students be able to do or, you know, what are we going to do with it? So the way the acronym works is the first one is shine. And I tell the story in the book that, you know, when I was going through my teaching training, we were, we read a poem called the star polisher and it was a real heavy read for me because it talks about that our children come in with these scars on their stars and it's our job to buff those out and to really help them shine as bright as they possibly can. And and I think that's what educational technology can do or a tech tool can do is we can really shine or help students shine maybe in the things they're really already good at. I know I I worked in the business world before I came to education. I work in insurance, which is completely very different than education. I was going to say, what a jump. (laughs) Yeah, a huge jump. But I did, I taught and trained future agents, right? So I, I was teaching and training adults. I just, you know, I was teaching more about you know, how to sell an insurance policy than, you know, how to use a tech tool. But but I remember reading a book called Now Focus on Your Stripes. And in that book, that's actually what led me to education because I realized I was totally in the wrong field by reading this book. But it's all about, you know, shining the light on the things you do. And then if there's something that you feel you're not good at or you feel you need extra support on, what can we do to make sure that we buff that part of your star? So that was the S, the shine part of it, was really just taking the students through or using technology in a way to make sure that our students are shining as bright as they possibly can.
0: So one, I think that's brilliant, the idea of shine. And I really love where you got that from, that, that poem. So when we talk about buffing up the students and letting them shine or helping them shine, because focusing on strengths is such an important thing. And I'm glad there's more People talking about that now, and more authors writing about how don't always worry about your weaknesses and focus on those because you can only improve those so much. But if you take your strengths and improve those, you can go much farther. My question for you is: When it comes down to shine, how do leaders engage teachers in that process? You know, often when we introduce a new piece of technology, yes, we need to support teachers and how to do that and show them how it makes their life maybe easier. Or it makes their classroom more engaging. But if that technology is a weakness for them, how do we shine them, so to speak? Are there certain ways leaders can help do that for teachers?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've been asked this form of question before. And a lot of times I'll ask like, who are your early adopters? Right. They're the ones that, that use technology and it seems very seamless. Those are the ones you tend to to lean on first. But then it's looking at those. Un, you know, I I don't know what the right word is here, but there's the other ones that are like the unsung heroes that also are doing some of this work that you don't always notice. For example, I was asked to go into a sixth grade classroom, actually several of them within a district because they felt like they weren't using technology well. And usually it's, they're just not using technology. You need to show them some tools. And really, that's not what I, you know, I, I can give you a list of tools, but I need to see what you're doing with your students to, you know, to see it. And so they asked me to spend the day with this one particular teacher that they said, She just doesn't use technology. And I was like, all right, I'll spend the day. And by the end of the first period, I was like, how do they think she's not using technology? She had so many layers of using tech and it was during COVID. So it was, she had kids on a Google Meet. She had kids in her classroom. She was using you know a MAP program. She had them watching a news article. She related it to a piece in history because it was a social studies teacher. She had so many layers that were just seamlessly used. But I think she was flying under the radar because she wasn't using the new shiny thing. She was using the tools that she knew worked for her and for her students, but she leveraged them in such a way that it was just part of the process. And I walked out saying, don't change a thing. Like there was nothing I would offer her with what she does. I just felt like they were creating, they were collaborating, they were communicating in this virtual and in-person space. I, I was like, what more do you want this teacher to do? And I think that's what sometimes when we're looking at leadership, it's finding those moments, you know, ca- capturing this is great. Now, this is what, what I would have done if I were the leader in this building is I would have had her walk other teachers through that process of what she did to shine the light on what she was doing that where you're taking a teacher who's not good at tech and all of a sudden, you know, showcasing what they're doing really well.
0: Awesome. So once we get those, once we get those spots shined up, what does that mean? What do we get there? Yep.
1: So, so M is the big one I get asked the most. It's motivate. You know, how do we get our students motivated? And I always say if they're not motivated in your class, then you're probably just not doing something fun. I mean, at the very basic level. And I don't mean that to like say you're boring because it doesn't, sometimes you have content that maybe isn't as exciting as the others. But, but a lot of times it's, it's, you're not hitting where the students are needing something more. So, you know, you know, you have content you have to get through. We all do. We have a pacing guide. We have, you know, our standards. And I totally get that that is a priority for teachers, right? We have to get them ready for the next level, the next exam, whatever it happens to be, wherever they leave, when they leave our doors, wherever they're going next, we want to make sure we're preparing them. But that doesn't mean that the content and the delivery has to be the way that works best for you. It should be the best way for your students. So it's using tech kind of where students are. You know, we know our students like bite-sized information. We know that there's an eight-second, you know, filter, I like to call it that. Some people say they have an eight, we have an eight-second attention span, right? Smaller than a goldfish. But really, after eight seconds, we decide, do we want to keep listening? Or are we tuning out because there's something that's more engaging? So I, I feel like if you find your students aren't motivated, maybe they need a different approach. Uh, for example, I had a, An English teacher who said, "You know, my my kids look bored. Like, I just they don't seem to be engaged in what we're doing." So I asked her. I said, "You know, she asked to meet with me." I said, "Bring me something that they've recently created." And there's this long dead silence on the phone, and she's like, "That's the problem. They haven't created anything in a while." Like it just hit her that she was just they were in this routine. They were they would read a book, they would write an essay, they'd read a book, write an essay. So she came and met with me and we, they were, she was reading the Canterbury tales. And so she was able to, she said, I always have them take a paragraph and write it in regular English. And I said, well, you know, let's, what do kids do? Well, they use emojis a lot. They use text feed. They use memes, whatever it happens to be. Let's take that to the next level and have them put it in something that would, they would post on the internet, not having to post it, right? We're just practicing those skills. And she said, her students were incredibly engaged. They actually wanted to put them up on the board and try to figure out. Which paragraph went with each of the, you know, the means or the emojis they use. And, and she said they got this deeper sense of learning. And that's where you get the motivation, right? That now they want to learn because it's fun, because it's engaging to them, but they're still going through the content and it doesn't take any extra time. Instead of writing an essay, they did this project, but their understanding was so much deeper than if they had just written the essay.
0: That's fantastic. I don't, you're on such a roll. I don't even want to step in and stop you, but. I, have to, I just have to add this, and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole because this could be a whole other show. The Canterbury Tales. First of all, what grade was that? It was high school. So I think it was like 10th grade. Okay. The Canterbury Tales are what got me interested in reading. Oh, wow. That's so, so funny because it's so that, old yeah, English. That was, that was kind of personal for me. That story, I could just imagine if I was trying to learn today, it might've been the, it might've been the emojis that did the trick. And my wife who is a seventh and eighth grade English teacher. Her eighth graders next year, they're diving into the Canterbury Tales. And so I'm definitely going to tell her to listen to this show. But that's such a great idea because she's tech savvy and she does a lot of things with technology and very engaging in the classroom. But, and I'm not just saying that because she may be listening to the show, but... um, (laughs) I sure she is. No, that's absolutely fantastic. (laughs) So let's talk about I.
1: Okay. So I moves into the inspiration to, you want to inspire your students. And a lot of this comes from when we went one to one with iPads back in 2013, realized that the students, you know, I, you know, they're consumers of so much technology, right? That, and maybe not as much then, but definitely over, over time we've seen it. But we also need to think about every time we're, um, we're giving students a device, we need to set parameters and the parameters need to be understood that they're not just while you're in school. There, there's this division between I use my school computer for this. I use my home devices for that, right? They, they, there's this division there. But if we're going to inspire students, we kind of want to marry those two together. We want our students to be using the tech that they have access to at school and the whole wide world that they have access to at home to see the potential, to see the opportunities that are available for them. So really, we're looking at, you know, opening those doors. So for example, at next, I think next week or the week after, I'm going to be with fourth and fifth graders. We're doing career day, something simple that happens every year. And my, I always go in as the, that you can go into a field of technology, which is so broad. And so what I usually do is I bring in three different emerging technology activities for the students to try. And I tell them that their job is to see the educational value. Could this be used in the classroom? How could it be used? You know, what grade levels, what, how, you know, what supports would be needed? All the things that I typically do when I'm analyzing a new tech tool, but I put it on them to do it and they love it. So like last year, I brought in artificial intelligence. Actually, I brought in like, a, you know, what's the quick draw, the Google quick draw? We did screwbly, which is like an augmented reality drawing activity. So as you move, it draws different characters around it. It's a Google experiment. And I don't remember. Oh, the third one we did. It's a piano that when you press different musical sounds, the computer will add to it. So it like becomes like an accompaniment to your to your, you know, what whatever you're playing. So I had the students look at all three of those. How easy was it? I don't give them any directions as far as like how to use the tools. I say. You know, if I find a new tool, I go to the site and I have to figure it out. And that was their job. And I think when we're thinking about inspiring students, you know, you do things like that and kids are like, wait, this is an actual job. I could do this. And all of a sudden it opens up opportunities. I do the same. I do a cybersecurity takeover program with sixth graders every year, which they love. They get so excited about it. But the first lesson we do is on ethical hacking. And they're like, wait, hacking's a thing. Like I could actually do this for real. And it's just opening up those ideas. And it could be bringing in like Flip does a nice job where they bring in um these guest speakers to do really fun activities, you know, where you can see different jobs. NASA has a lot of really great resources for that. So really, we're just trying to inspire students by seeing what is out there, you know, what is available to them. But we're also looking at it from that digital citizenship lens. We talk about that a lot with the Inspire, because you want to inspire with, guardrails until we're sure that our students can really use, you know, technology for good. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't showcase, you know, we have to showcase that a lot, you know, and hopefully they'll realize that, that, you know, technology doesn't have to always be a negative.
0: One of the beautiful things about that is you're not talking about limiting behaviors or limiting students' ability. You're talking about teaching them the ethical piece of it or the appropriateness of when to use technology, how to use technology and what it can actually be used for. If you're doing it properly, you you talk about the whole, you know, we talk about the whole child a lot and we talk about the whole child, but we have the student that we have sitting in front of us who we know is often quite different when they go home. And the idea that you're starting, you're starting everybody being able to see that by saying, hey, look, you've got your personal stuff at home, your devices, your technology, bring it into school. Because why would we not let you use something in school? My most hated phrase is when you get to the real world why don't we bring the real world into school? Like, like for real? Like, what are we doing if we're not doing something real? in school the fake world? You know, it doesn't inspire kids to learn, but what you're talking about, just giving them the vision of what could be and showing them the value of what you're trying to get across to them is fantastic.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so many teens, especially, you know, that are doing some really remarkable things in the virtual space. And I feel like, they need to be highlighted more. When I teach digital citizenship, you know, and I'm still not a huge fan of the one-offs. Like, hey, Lori, come on in, do a half-hour lesson on digital citizenship. We'll check that. But, you know, at least they've let me in and I can have the conversations. But, you know, I definitely take the foundations of like a really good common sense education lesson. I believe in that what they're doing there. But I'd like to add a whole layer of, you know, here's a student that's doing this really great thing or has the civic cause or, or is trying to, uh, you know, whatever they're passionate about. That it's a place that they can share their passions. It's a place that they can have this, you know, this conversation and it can be positive. And then they also need to know how to support themselves and others if they see something that isn't positive because we know not everything on the internet is, you know, I (laughs) we need (laughs) to teach students, you know, some of that as well, that, you know, yes, you're going to post a video and you're going to get a 100 people saying great job and you're going to get the one that just knocks you down and they have to know how to deal with that. And if we don't teach that, That real world, like you said, in our classrooms, where are they going to learn it? And, you know, I just think, you know, if we're really inspiring our students to be the leaders of tomorrow, we need to have them see the
0: leaders today. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So we've got them. We've got them shined up, got them buffed out. Yep. They're motivated. We inspire them with that bigger picture. What does L bring us?
1: Well, this one's kind of an obvious one. It's learn. <laughs> you, yeah. know? you have I to think, have that
0: in there.
1: You have to have that. I think technology can be used to learn things. And it's, you know, we always say, like you said, you know, for for the future jobs, right? We need to learn, you know, the things that we need to know. And there's always things you need to know that you don't think you need to know when you're in school. And I always say, like, when I was in ninth grade, I took geometry. I would never, I'm going to call, I was math phobic, you know, if you want to call it that. I was the kid that I went to a different school for the first four years of my life. Every year I was in a different district and I just, I struggled with, you know, everyone was teaching in a different way, you know, how to how to do math. And I think I missed some of the fundamentals. Like for fourth grade, I was in every level of math class by the end of the year because I would know one thing really well and then I didn't understand something. So I bopped around. So by the time I got to geometry, I had this. Fear of math, and you know, I'll call it even a hatred. I <laughs> really just didn't like it <laughs> at all. But I had the most fantastic teacher, and you know, I thank him for giving me through geometry. But he met with me before school. He met with me, you know, during my class time. I met with him at lunch every day. I'd stay after school just to pass. In New York State, we have something called Regents exams, and I passed the Regents by one point. I got enough to speak by. But I kept saying to him, "When am I going to ever use geometry? I don't get why this is something I need to know." But then, you know, lo and behold, I graduate with my master's in teaching. Jobs are few and far between. And I'm like, I need a job. So I get a job at an insurance company working in the fire claims unit. And every day I was doing area perimeter. I was (laughs) climbing on roofs to measure, you know, the slope. I mean, I was doing all of these things that I thought I would never in my life use. And I think that's the that's what we need to help our students see that. It's important to learn everything you can and to be curious, to really... You want to obviously look at the things you're passionate about, but sometimes it's important to look at things that maybe you didn't think you had an interest in. Like, for example, I have two college-age kids and I made both of my children take a cybersecurity class in college. To be at the life skill. I think every kid should take it. I think it's just as important as learning to read or to be able to do math. You know, I definitely think it's up there. And both my kids really liked it. They're like, I never would have taken this if I hadn't been pushed. And they were both very happy. Both of them are like leading in those directions, you know, and I don't know if they're going to end up in the cybersecurity job world. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I know that they have more of an understanding of the importance of it. And I think that's what, you know, we want to make sure when we're thinking about learning, it's we always have to learn as leaders. We have to be learning. We have to showcase what we're learning. You know, you often see teachers put on their doors, like the books they're reading. I was the one that'd be like, hey, guess what I learned today? You know, and I always had a little memo board outside my door where I'd put a quote of the day or a fun fact or something along those lines. And the kids loved it. And, you know, I talked about a couple of the one in the book, but, you know, it's just something to get the students engaged and to realize that sometimes you might learn something that you didn't know that was kind of cool to learn about.
0: That's awesome. And These are all really good. The last one I am dying to hear about though. One thing I do want to mention is that whole learn, there's that piece of trust that the students have to have that someday you might need this, but it's so much better to build that curious mindset in them and use it in context. Geometry didn't mean anything to you until you needed it to fill out a report or you used it in some fashion that way. My son, he's in engineering in high school. And he used to hate math. He comes home the other day, he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, dad, trig is pretty easy. I'm like, (laughs) what? Because he's building bridges and things like that, writing up equations because he's doing something with it. So yeah, that's fantastic. Let's talk about, let's talk about that E. I almost said it. I don't want to give it away to the audience though. <laughs> go ahead and hear E.
1: Yeah. The E means elephant. And yes, there is an elephant on my cover that was designed by Amy Bloom. She's an amazing ed tech, you know, educator and friend of mine, also from New York. She, she drew that or that, that design for me, which I absolutely love. But the, the, the elephant seems odd. I've always been an elephant lover, but there's so many ways that we use the word elephant in some of like the, um, the, yeah, you have know, the figurative language we use today, right? The elephant in the room or, you know, the, that kind of thing. And that's really what it kind of means is we're talking about overcoming the big barriers that you have to using technology, but it's not always overcoming it. Sometimes it's living in harmony of it. So I tell a story in the book about there's a nonprofit called Elephants and Bees, and you wouldn't think that they have any relation. Everyone thinks elephants are afraid of mice. They're not afraid of mice. They're, they're definitely afraid of bees. they they have a spot on the back of their ears that's incredibly sensitive. So to give you the kind of the context of the story, they, the, the bees project, what they did is they went into Africa and they were looking at some of these villages where the landowners would have a plot of land that they would farm. But the elephants would come onto their land and they would kill all the crops, sometimes even, you know, injure or kill the family by trampling through the, their, their hut. And so this company came in and they realized because elephants were afraid of bees, that if they put beehives around the, the plot of land with tripwires, that when the elephant tried to go into the farm, the tripwire would send the bees out of their, their nests and then the elephants would run away. So the elephants were protected and the people and the, and their way of life was protected. But now they also had honey to, to have for their families and to sell. So sometimes it's not overcoming the elephant. Sometimes it's finding a way to live with it. So. We know educational technology is not going anywhere, but there are ways that we can live in harmony with the things that we want technology to do or maybe want to avoid. And so I talk about some of the big ones in the book, time being the big one. That's a huge reason I hear people don't want to use technology is they don't have the time to learn it. They have to get through their content, you know, or it's just, you know, the students are on screens enough. We talked about screen time and all of that when we're talking about what we can do to make sure that we're using technology appropriately. So really, I'm just giving some suggestions and ideas on how they can overcome their elephants and, you know, and think about how they can structure their day, you know, and it doesn't have to be technology. The book is about technology. But for me, I mean, actually teaching math was also an elephant for me, you know, I had those terrible experiences as a kid, but at least I, you know, I saw as I got older, the importance of it. But I I learned very early that sometimes it was better to step back. So I remember my first year teaching. I had a boy who was brilliant in my class. Totally was you know was going to a really good school. It was going to do very well. Whatever it is, and I know he has been very well as an adult now. And I was teaching this new math, right? Because I mean it wasn't the math we learned in school. Because all of a said we had these new New York modules. We had this new Common Core math and all this new curriculum. And I'd get to a problem and I'd have to step back and look and like, I made an error, but I'm not sure where the error is. And he'd be like, I got you, Mrs. Dion. It's right here. And he would come up and he would do it. And I was like, he's teaching my math class. Like, this is good for me. But at the same time, like, kids got to see me learn alongside because he got the understanding. He understood some of the concepts better. And I think that's what we can do with technology. We can learn alongside our students. First year, I did Hour of Code. That first year, I had the iPads. And and I said to the students, I don't even really know what coding is, but let's try it. And we did it together. And I had a student that year that was, English was not his first language. He was very withdrawn in school. Definitely frustrated with his, with where he was, you know, what his education experience was. And we started doing coding and he totally got it. I mean, within the first half hour, he came up to me. And he's like, can you open up the 20 hour course? I want to do more. And he asked if he could do it at home. So I opened up, tw- I, we were only going to do the hour. Code. I was like, sure. By the end of the week, he did the whole thing. He became the expert in the room. Students were inviting him to sit with him at lunch so he could help them with the, what they were doing. Because it took us I every mean, first year ever doing coding, took us a full week instead of just an hour to get through like those 20 lessons on um, the maze one that we did back then. But it was, you know, I think that's what overcoming your elephants can be. It's sometimes learning around alongside your students. Sometimes it's figuring out a way to live in harmony of it. Sometimes it's just thinking about what's most important, you know, which is making sure that our students are getting what they need to be successful.
0: That is absolutely fantastic. The whole acronym altogether, but I really, really appreciated elephant. You know, you... I've got a couple of questions for you that I ask as we get near the end of the podcast. I have a couple of questions that I ask every guest. And these I'm really interested in because you are so passionate about what you do, about the integration of technology and about just education in general. I mean, it comes through in your voice. I'm sure the listeners can hear it, but I can also see it on your face while you're talking. You're really passionate about it. So this first question might be a little different. If you were an educator, who, not what, would you be?
1: Yeah, well, I will tell you that I would not go back to insurance. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> Left <laughs> a lasting impression. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. No, and I mean, you know, my husband works in insurance. It's fine. It's a, it's an important part of life. I think I would always be doing exactly what I'm doing in some way. I think I was always meant to support others. I think that, quite honestly, I wish I had known when I was in school that I could be like a computer scientist. I wish. Someone had shown that path because I think that I might have done very well in that arena, but I didn't know it was something that could be done. But I definitely think even if I was doing that, I'd be teaching and training. I I think that I'd always find a way to help others because I think that's what, you know, that's what fills my cup. You know, that's what makes me excited about getting up every day is knowing that at the end of the day, someone's going to learn something new or been excited about something or. I was going to support them in some way that makes their life a little easier. I think that's really what totally drives me every day.
0: So along those lines, because you've said so much about tech integration, just this framework that you presented, I don't know why people wouldn't go out and grab this book because this framework is so meaningful and deep, for real. Not just It's not just something slapped together. It's so meaningful and can be applied at so many levels. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage and empower those they serve, be it educational in general or specifically tech integration?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. It's a deep question. Quite honestly, I think it really, it comes down to, you know, letting people know that you support them and you understand that maybe whatever it is you're asking them to do might be outside their comfort zone, but that you're going to offer what they need to help them get to where you know that they can go. You know, it's just, it's always helping them be what you know that you see that, that they can be. You know, that might sound a little pie in the sky, but it, you know, it tends to be, I'm an incredibly optimistic person. You know, my glasses always half full and, you know, or always <laughs> overflowing probably, but, but it's, I think that, I think, For leaders, it's really, you know, find out something about each person and really help them. You know, if they're struggling with something, find the supports. Maybe what their struggle isn't quite exactly what they think it is. Maybe it's not the technology that scares them. Maybe it's taking the time away from what they're used to doing, getting out of their comfort zone. Sometimes it's an extra PD. Sometimes it's just like spending a day in the class and saying, wow, what you're doing is really working. And I think you need to help others. So sometimes it could be that as well. But I think you need to know your people and you need to know what you can do to support them to be exactly who you know they can be.
0: Awesome. Lori, if people that listen to this want to get in touch with you to learn more, what's the best way to reach out and get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm on Twitter. I think that's probably the easiest way. And you, no surprise, but my my on Twitter, I'm at Smile Learning. So you can find me there. Probably the easiest way. Smile Learning EBU uh, dot com is my my web address. If you want to go to the website and you know see more about the book.
0: Awesome. And I'll definitely hook all those up in the show notes with links and everything, so people can click on those and it's easy. They can check it out and get in touch with you more about tech integration and ways to really make that happen in a meaningful way in their schools.
1: Great, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Seeing to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Seen to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com, where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.